Today on Catfish Best Source, we step away from catfishing once again with two wonderful guests, and we talk about another northern fish that doesn't get enough respect, the eel pout. From the studios of Grand Forks Best Source, welcome to Catfish Best Source, presented by Half Brothers Brewing. I'm your host, Brad Durek. Once again, produced produced by Dale, and thanks for joining us, everyone. Um couple of reminders. I forgot the bottle of Super Clean today, so I'll just tell you about it. Go to the Brad Durek Outdoors Facebook page. Find the Super Clean logo. Go in the keyword and type in the keywords in the comments, River. That is it. You're signed up for a gift pack from Super Clean. As we do every show, we have our Half Brothers Beverage. They're going old school over at Half Brothers. Where's my camera? Right there. They're going old school, bringing back the original can wrappers and going with their pub brew series from back in 2017, 2018. This is very simple. Just a, I can't even see it. A little sticker with what it is. This is pub brown ale, 4% alcohol, Half Brothers Brewing, as always. I sampled this earlier today. It is a... Very nice sipping beer, so cheers, everyone. I know my guests enjoy a beverage from time to time. It's even better than when I tried it at the tap house earlier. As you already know, we're having the Pub Brown Ale from Half Brothers Brewing, our presenting sponsor here on Catfish Best Source. These guys are really awesome at making beer. They have me enjoying things that I just never really cared for. I used to find myself not liking IPAs and sours. Now they're some of my favorite. I should also mention I had another morning dreams earlier today while I was picking up our samples for tonight. They also have basic brews such as the Classic or the Nodak 23. There are so many more you can't even tell. Everything changes weekly. Be sure to like them on social media to get the lowdown on every week's new and what's new at the Tap Room. I also want to tell you, at the Tap Room on North 3rd Street in Grand Forks, do yourself a favor, head down for one of the many beers, but also don't forget to bring the kids and have dinner. Enjoy pizza, pizza rolls, nachos, and my favorite, the pretzel bites. Had those over the weekend, too. You won't regret that either. Check them out on the web, halfbrothersbrewing.com. Find them on social media or visit them at the Tap Room on North 3rd Street. Let's get some flame throwers, Dale. Brothers Firearm Shop, located in the Grand Cities Mall. They buy, sell, and trade new and used firearms. Brothers has got you covered with anything you need, from tons of firearms, silencers, all the way to flamethrowers, as we show every week here on Catfish Best Source. And Brothers Firearms is veteran-owned. Check out Brothers Firearms in the Grand Cities Mall in Grand Forks, open Monday through Friday from 11 to 6. Saturdays, noon to 4, Brothers Firearms, protecting America since 2015. BrothersFirearmsShop.com. So without further ado, I've been chasing these two for about a month now to get them on the... We need some music cut, Dale. Chasing these two to get them on here to talk about Eel Pout with me. From central Minnesota, the Jasons, Jason Rylander and Jason Durham. Welcome aboard, gentlemen. There's Rylander. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Brad. Can you get them both up there at the same time? Uh, give me a sec here. Let's get Durham it, up there it, so everybody it, it, can it see him. When they talk. Okay. Yeah. Where are you at, Durham? I'm right here. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, this is going to be a little weird <laughs> as it goes with using Zoom for, for the remote. But, guys, welcome aboard. I know we tried chasing you down a few weeks ago to get you. Somebody had some water issues. I hope that all came out okay. <laughs> no. No? Yeah, not until the ground thaws. You didn't get it thawed, huh? No. 
So well, it's not the, the problem is my water line is not frozen; it's just ruptured. So oh. it's under the frozen ground right now. Oh, so, so you can't get to it. Yeah. Well, still, when it's thirty below, that sucks, and there's a lot of winter left to go. So anyways, I want to thank you guys for joining me. Um, First, let's just get a little lowdown because you guys are not catfishermen. I have catfished with Rylander. I'm about to catfish with Durham this summer. So one of you, well, Durham's up on the screen. I can see him. So tell me how you got into fishing, when you started. I know you're a guide. I know you're a teacher. Just give me a little background on where you come from before we get into talking about eel pout. Fishing in general, I mean, I live in the Park Rapids area, the Heartland Lakes area, they call it, where we've got just a huge number of lakes. So I always tell people we've got 100 within 10 miles and we've got 400 within 25 miles. And I'm a lifer, so I grew up here. I started fishing when I was just, I mean, literally a baby going into the boat in a a picnic basket with my parents do you and, have a photo uh, of this we can put on social media? Oh, man, I wish I did. <laughs> I, I do have a really cool aerial shot from when I was a kid. Um, it, our town sheriff was up in a helicopter and took a picture of my dad and I, and I'm four or five years old in our little rowboat. Uh, it's something that's pretty cool for that time. I mean, now anybody can do that with a drone, but to have one from the early 80s, like that's wild. Well, that was like getting a picture of your farmstead even. You know, the plane flies over and then they try to sell you the picture. And, of course, everybody buys it. I don't own a farmstead, so I'm not sure on that. Same thing. Just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. I inter- I interrupted. Oh, it's, oh it's, it's all good. So I started guiding when I was 15 in the area. And I've been doing it ever since. So I've been doing it for 30 years now, which sounds like forever. And it just means that I'm getting older and have had a lot of experience with a lot of different people, both on the ice and in the boat. I I haven't guided as long on the ice as I have in the boat because 20 years ago, not as many people were interested in ice fishing. Now it's crazy. Yeah, Um, we're probably going to talk about that down the way, just the explosion, because that's about the time I'm, well, I met you a long time ago, but that's about the time I met Rylander was when everything was really booming or getting going Mm -hmm. in the ice fishing world. But yeah, to give you a little glimpse into my life this week, uh, well, I've got today and tomorrow off for um, just some days that we scheduled off, but uh, otherwise, it's common to teach all week and guide all week too, so they're really isn't any extra time for things it's fishing and teaching and that's my life and i love it well that's a good a good intro to you rylander let's hear your story well i grew up in the fergus falls alexandria area and you know fishing off my grandma's dock and my grandpa taking me out bluegill fishing and you know i'm going up to school in bemidji and it's a good place to go to school if you like fishing and Stuck around, and uh, I started guiding part-time for Matt Brewer in North Country Guide Service uh, 10, 12 years ago. About, I actually met Matt via the burbot. That's how we met, was out on the ice. No kidding, I never knew that. Out. Yeah, that's how, that's how I met. We were the only two people on Lake Bemidji in March chasing the out at 9 o'clock at night. Weirdos. Night. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Absolutely. You know, 
you, I met, like I said, I met you at the St. Paul Ice Show. I don't know, God, it's quite a few years ago now, yeah. and uh, you know that has gone on. And you know, before we get into the eel pout, you guys are a lot more hardcore ice fishing than I am. Just let's talk about the last decade, even fifteen years, how that's boomed because we were all kind of together at those ice shows, watching it happen in front of our eyes. Well, I I wanted to add something real quick. I wanted to interject that I think you should have had us each introduce each other. Oh, you know what? Let's do that. Because I know you two are clowns. You you do that. No. <laughs> and I couldn't okay. find that awesome white suit you wore to the ice shows in a picture to save my life, or we would have had it up here. If oh. you would have asked, I would have just put it on. I can uh. go do it right now if you want. Well, maybe we and Ryland. We might have to do that. Anyway, no, introduce I, our friend Jason Rylander. Okay, the Jason is Rylander <laughs> is a dynamo, dynamo, hailing from Turtle River, Minnesota, the metropolis of Turtle River. Uh, he also holds the world record for the largest U.S. baby ever born. He's got that certificate in his kitchen. Um, and that's about it. Wow, that's short and sweet. All right. Let's hear the other one. <laughs> uh, Jason Durham hailing from the metropolis of Nevis, Minnesota. Now he lives in Park Rapids. Teaches kindergarten because he can't count higher than 10, and that's all he's got to do there. So. so that's why they're lowering fish limits in Minnesota, so you can count them all. On one hand. <laughs> Two hands. There's, you only got five fingers, buddy. <laughs> okay. See, I five t- fish limits. <laughs> I want everybody to know, and Dale knows this, I usually have a pretty uh, solid list of questions. It's pretty blank. <laughs> so we're on our own, boys. But uh, like I said before, we had to in, uh, have that little interjection. Uh, ice fishing kind of exploding the past... 10, 15 years. You guys have been way on the forefront of that versus what I've done, but what have you seen? Good, bad, indifferent, love and life, love the crowds. What do you, I mean, what are you seeing? You're more an ice fishing country than I am. I'll let Rylander start this one. Well, I, I love it because it's just more people fishing. It's better for the sport. It's better for the conservation of the species. I think you know, it just brings an influx of uh, revenue, especially to our area, northern Minnesota, you know, Park Rapids, Bemidji area, with the people fishing. And 15 years ago, I wish I would have uh, invested in or learned how to weld frames or build fish houses because, my goodness, I mean, growing up, my dad had an 8 by 12 fish house that he had built in 1983 and his was pretty fancy for some of the other ones that we'd see out on the lake and uh, everybody had their little shack but nothing compared to these i mean if you ask a guy 20 years ago 20 years ago if he's gonna pay 50 grand for a fish house i think you would have got laughed at and they don't now even blink now pretty commonplace yeah they don't even blink now Mm-mm. no jace what do you got to add you know, I just think, uh, you know, you and I, all of us have been involved in promoting ice fishing for, well, for me, the majority of my life now. And it's to a degree a double-edged sword. 
because yeah, it's awesome to see people participating in it. What's wonderful is seeing the number of families that are doing it and the advent of the wheelhouse. I mean, you can't deny it that it has changed the face of ice fishing because it, it used to be traditionally and, and not always, but I'm saying traditionally, it was typically the male of the household who was trying to get permission to leave the family to go out and ice fish and everybody else was at home. Well, now everybody's going out on the lake. They might even still be doing the same things they did at home. They, they might still be watching a movie or playing with Legos on the floor or using a tablet or whatever, but they're all together. And there's holes in the floor to catch fish at the same time to make memories. And so holes. that's a cool thing. But the du- double-edged sword part of it is that um, everybody in the industry that has promoted ice fishing obviously has done a good job because it's just exploded. But now you do have to focus on the conservation part of it because there are more people out. Um, you know, in our area, small lakes, you get an influx of people. There's not that many areas to fish. And so you just have to make sure you're really courteous about others that are in your area. Like you don't own the lake. So if somebody, somebody comes to fish with you, welcome them with open arms and it really is a social sport, make it one, you know, you don't have to be territorial about it at all. Right. So you know, the one thing I wanted to add when you talked about doing the family thing in the wheelhouse is there's more holes to drop toys and phones and keys and all those other things down <laughs> during the day. <laughs> so the last time I was in a wheelhouse, I do not own one, but we were up at Lake of the Woods with a friend of mine. And everything was going fine until someone wanted microwave popcorn. And I don't know how this happened, but the little ring that the thing that turns the plate in the microwave popped out of there and went down the hole. So now the microwave didn't work. (laughs) It couldn't have been but two inches big, but it pretty much shut down the whole rest of the trip because the microwave didn't work. Well, you know, I I actually have a really good story about a wheelhouse from just last weekend where I had a, a big group out. I had 13 guide clients and seven of them were kids. There was a one-year-old, a two-year-old, two six-year-olds. It was a lot. Uh, but we had three wheelhouses, and, and one of the wheelhouses they had rented. Um, well, at one point during the day, somebody had to use the bathroom. And I mean seriously use the bathroom. And in that rental house, they had an actual enclosed bathroom in there. And so we just let it air out for a little bit. Well, it was the next day that all of a sudden a couple of the adults – started talking about how it smelled so bad in there. And they even got to the point where they stepped out of the fish house. Well, another adult stepped in and said, nobody went to the bathroom. That's propane. And so I went running for the fish house. And what had happened is one of the young kids had turned the knob on the stove. So propane was just coming into the shelter. So it's something that you really need to be aware of especially if you have young kids, because if there's a knob, they're going to turn it. Oh, That's just the way young kids are. That could have got really intense really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, commonplace at home, but no one would ever think of such a thing in a fish house. Well, and for them who who don't commonly fish out of a, a wheelhouse. Right, they would have never that, thought of that. Right, that they're, they're not, not as experienced. I mean, if you're renting a house, you, you don't do it all the time. And so that was... I, I couldn't imagine what would have happened 
if it was just that family that was out and and they thought it was truly somebody that had gone to the bathroom. Oh, and or if they grabbed another thing on the stove and tried to light it. That would have right. been really bad. Really, really, really bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're supposed to be talking happy stuff. Got any happy stories? Let's hear some happy stories from guiding. <laughs> I got the biggest, that same group, I got the biggest box of Valentine chocolates in a heart-shaped box you've ever seen in your life. Well, you must happy. You must have done a good job then. Well, the cool thing was, you know, one of the one of the boys who's six years old, he it, it was like a switch tripped, and he was so intent on ice fishing. He fished the entire time and was outside. I mean, it was a beautiful weekend, and he, I mean, he was concentrating so hard on catching fish, and he caught his first fish ever on a tip up, which was a big deal. And when that flag went up. I didn't go and helicopter over him. I just let him do his thing because when you have a young kid like that, I know as an adult, you want the best outcome possible, but really one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to land the fish or not or not. So just let him, let him do it. Let him be independent. And he landed a 30 inch Northern, which was his biggest fish ever, his first fish ever on a tip up. I mean, those are the things that I live for with guiding. When you have firsts and personal bests, and if you think about it, I got to be a part of that, something special that that kid's going to remember for the rest of his life. How is that not cool? Well, I'm fortunate enough in the catfish world that I get to be part of that a lot. But you I'm brought sure. up tip-up. I mean, I love them. I love chasing tip-ups. I think they're just the bomb. But so many... Of us, as we kind of move up the food chain of fishing, we kind of poo-poo them because they're old school. But they're effective, they're simple, they're inexpensive, and kids just eat them up. Because what's more exciting than that flag jumping up when you least expect it? Well, not, not, just, kids, not just kids eating it up, adults do too. And one of our favorite baits to use on a tip-up, which is, I mean, in the catfish world isn't so obscure, but we use hot dogs a lot. And most people don't think that they'll work. So then when they do, that's even another first or another experience that they get to go back home and talk about or talk about at the office. They always want a picture. Can we get a picture with the hot dog in the fish's mouth? <laughs> no fun yeah, dog. Sure. <laughs> fun yeah. dog. I like that. Yeah. So, well, this is where I have to tell a story about my kid when he was four. We were on a pike bite like you wouldn't believe and I think the flag total for the day was 80. And we were, there was a bunch of us. I bet we had 20 to 25 tip-ups out for 12 people probably. And, you know, in North Dakota, you're allowed four per person. So we could have had a lot more. But right. we got sick of drilling and setting. So anyway, my kid's four. We're trying to get him to take a fish. And he just flat out wouldn't do it. But he chased every flag and... We're about, I don't know, three or four in for the day. He's sitting on the ATV having a snack. And I said, so do you know exactly what we're doing today? And he goes, yep. And I said, what? And he goes, well, we went out, we put those flags down. And when I said, what happens when a fish bites? And he goes, the flag pops up. I said, then what? And he goes, everybody goes, flag! And then what? We run. Well, what after that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> that was the end of it. But he chased every flag and he was so tired by the end of the day that he rode on the snowmobile trailer that we had towed out there and slept 
for the three mile ride back across the lake to get off because he was so pooped. So, I mean, that was fun. That was fun to watch him chase every one of those things. And everybody was pooped that day. Then there's the day Rylander brings his kids up and it's the slickest ice you're ever going to find and not one pair of cleats to be found. No, none of us <laughs> had cleats. Boys are falling, we're falling. Oh, it was, we caught some fish. We didn't light the world on fire that day, but it was, uh, it was still fun. Plenty of action. Yeah. So, well, I brought you guys on. Dale, where'd you go? I need some pictures here. Yep, I got some pictures for you. I brought you guys on to talk about the burbot, otherwise known as the eel pout. You two have kind of become the kings of Minnesota with this, or at least in the media, and you're both very good at doing it. So, I want to just... Pull a picture up randomly, Dale, right. except for the one. I just got them labeled Jason 1 through 5. So. All right. I didn't want to start with that one, but there we go. Uh, I got the pool of pout for Rylander up here on the screen now. We'll let you explain oh. that now or later. <laughs> yeah, that was just a <laughs> – I had an idea for this picture, and I guess I had a better idea, I guess, in my head I was going to be – in amongst them a little bit more, my feet, legs and feet, but the ice conditions made it very difficult to make an ice well. So there's a lot of jagged, jagged things happening underneath that water that you don't see. So you can picture what I'm sitting on when I sat down with those fish. But uh, we had a big group. Jason was, Jason, you were there, right? Yep. Yes. Oh, I, I was, I was there. Oh yeah. Uh, speaking of those jagged things, the craziest thing, Brad, they just put all these holes in the back of his underwear. Uh, <laughs> they were probably there when he got there. <laughs> they actually were. That was the worst, absolute worst pair of underwear I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe he let himself out of the house wearing them. Let alone be at a picture that went worldwide for now probably oh a decade. Gosh. Well, nobody saw the back. I did when you got out of the water, and that was the problem. Can you find us a better picture, Dale? <laughs> uh, all right, picture two. Coach. You guys can't see him. I apologize. Uh, I always I always get asked about that picture since I saw you take a sip of beer is how drunk I was when I took that picture. And I tell people, I said, actually, that night I was completely sober. I said, if I'd been drinking and jumped in that tub, I said, Probably wouldn't have had underwear on and nobody would have got to see the picture. <laughs> well, one other thing about that picture, too, is that, you know, when you go to, oh, I don't know, like a county fair or something like that or the pumpkin patch and, and they have these cutouts of people or animals and you can stick your face in the hole and be part of that picture. Well, there was actually one of those made with that picture. I've actually seen a picture of that thing. Yeah, that was so in Walker, wasn't it? In there. That was at the Walker uh, Eel Festival the, uh, back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah, a beer, a beer salesman reached out and asked for permission to use the picture, and I said, "Yeah, so it'll cost you a case of beer, and I just want the cutout when you're done." And he said, "Deal." And then they had a display contest or something rolling around, revolving around Eel Pop Festival, and yep, the guy won with with that. that and then I, I ended up with it. it. It hung out at the local bar that I hang out at and work at for a bit. And now, uh, boy, I don't know where the heck it went. I haven't seen it for a while. It's not in your possession. It's not in my possession, which is kind of terrifying. 
I was just going to say that. You want to pull that other picture up, Dale, quick? Okay, we just have a picture now, a nice Minnesota eel pout with Rylander holding it. So take a minute, just tell what these fish are, because most people down south have no clue what we're even talking about, I have a feeling. Um, I'll start, JC, add on whatever I might miss. But eel pout are a native species, or burbot, uh, native species to Minnesota, especially northern Minnesota, Mississippi River. Um, they are the only member of the cod family that lives in freshwater. They're a, they're a freshwater cod. That's where they get the poor man's lobster from. Their meat is a little bit more firm than than a typical freshwater fish, not not nearly as flaky as, as a walleye or a pike. Uh, but they thrive and live in deeper, clearer, cold lakes. That's uh, kind of their jam. They get uh, a lot more active in the winter. Catching one in the summer isn't unheard of or impossible. It's just uh, fairly uncommon. They're just not nearly as active in feeding as as much as they do in the winter. Their uh, liver kicks out an enzyme and gets them gets them excited and gets them going in the winter and they're the as far as i know the only species that spawns underneath the ice in our area right i'm glad you Uh, pointed that out because i think that's the only one i know of as well you know and you're and we talked when when this episode's gonna air is right around the time of that spawn really starting a little bit i don't some of the lakes that i fish around here i see that spawn happening March 4th to March 14th, 15th. So you've got it down to about a two-week window then, huh? You've got it dialed in a little bit to the dates. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've had a little help with those dates, but it's... What happens when with the bite is, you know, typically right now, like Jason and I could get off this call, I could meet him on a lake, and we could go catch a few oil pulp. I mean, it's, it's 7.30 at night right now, uh, but they're bite after dark. Right. When they start spawning, that bite flip-flops, and they get they actually bite a lot better during the day. Not that you can't catch them during the day when they're not spawning, and not that you can't catch them at night when they are, but uh, you see a lot stronger day bite happening during the spawn. That I did not know, so I learned something today. Now, this picture we have up is one of those beautiful yellowish ones from Bemidji area. Why... Are they so vibrant in that part of the world? And Lake of the Woods, Lake Sakakawea, some of them, they're more of that drab, dull gray. Well, I would say that it goes back to just like any other fish species, like walleye. You see the same thing, differences in coloration. I even, uh, a lot of it is environment, uh, the water, also their diet. But even think about if you go to the bait shop and you've got one of the old style styrofoam white minnow buckets and you get a dozen sucker minnows thrown in there. They're very dark in the minnow bucket. And then if you wait a few hours or go out fishing, whatever, you've got two, three of them left and you buy some more and put them in there, you'll see the difference in color. They'll adapt to their environment somewhat. Um, But it, it, it can go back to, like I say, their diet as well, but it's probably more than likely uh, the environment, the substrate, more than anything. Water and the clarity? Wa- the water. Water quality or what's what's in the yeah. water. What's in the water, yeah. So same concept as those. 
very dark shield like walleyes versus the greenbacks from Lake Winnipeg then. Right. And you can you see you see big differences lake to lake. Think about Rylander, the ones we caught way up in northern Manitoba, that they look a lot different than the ones here. And and even those couple lakes that we fished up there, like the ones on the small lake that we went to, just how weird looking they were. Right. Just long and skinny and I mean, you look at those, look at the eel pup that come out of Lake Superior. Yeah. They don't have like the bellies like these fish do in some of our lakes. And I'm sure that's just, there's probably just not the food abundance versus. I, I want to talk about food, but if Dale yeah. comes around here, we're going to run our two middle commercials quick and then we're going to get on to diet and food and how to catch these bad boys. Well, the thing is, Rylander really likes to talk about food and doesn't really like to talk about diet. Have you ever met me? Yeah, see? Have you ever met me? I get it. <laughs> I understand. That's why I'm friends with Half Brothers Brewing Company, because they have pretzel bites, and that helps my figure. So, anyway, my friend Thunder Ray's out of repair, because I always got to laugh. Everyone with a car and truck... We'll need a repair at one time or another. May I recommend Thunder Ray's Auto Repair in Grand Forks? Ray's a friend of of this show and catfishing, and when he started his own shop, I knew he would be great. Just drive by the shop anytime. They're always full of cars and very great reviews coming out. Our family's taken all of our service to Ray's since they opened. Ray's fixes all makes and models of vehicles. Besides fixing your car or truck, they can order and install any tires you want. They can also fix and balance those tires. And as I always mention, from my personal experience, they can change your and check your trailer bearings to keep you on the road and not stranded like I have been once. Oil changes, tire changes, brakes, starters, alternators, electrical, and every other thing you can imagine for your car, they can do it. And yes, they can restore your muscle car. If you want fast, honest service, think Ray's. Thunder Ray's on North Washington Grand Forks. For more information or to make an appointment, thunderrays.com. Everyone in catfishing knows that fresh bait is the key to better success. Keep your bait fresh and alive longer with chiller bait tanks. Chiller bait tanks are the only fully insulated rotomold tank on the market, making them the most durable tank on the market. Chiller bait tanks offers the patent-pending operating system for controlling gases in marine storage tanks. What does this mean to you? Air is comprised of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. Our system focuses on the 21% oxygen to get it in the pump bay and keep your bait happier. Available in 30 and 45-gallon models, which both come with free shipping. Each tank includes the three-stage quick-change filter and a customizable power cord. Chiller bait tanks are compact and durable to give you many years of worry-free bait keeping. For more information or to buy your last bait tank, check them out at chillerbaittank.com. All right, the bills are paid for a couple more minutes. So let's talk about what these fish eat. What's their main diet and forage? That's crayfish. Crayfish. Did you say crayfish? Crayfish, at least locally. I mean, I haven't fished. I don't think I've fished any fish that that isn't their main forage. I mean, obviously, as they get bigger, they're going to expand, and they're also, you know, like anything. Oh, there's something dead. I might as well eat that or take advantage. You know, once they get bigger, start chasing the the Cisco or a Tulabi or whatever. I mean, I've caught I've caught not that big of eel pelt with a rainbow trout in its mouth. So they are hunters. They will hunt something down. 
Well, if you think about just like their their makeup, that they're primarily thin. They have they have huge fins. They have giant mouths. They swim super fast. So you know, kind of like a bass will take a lot of different things just because it's quick, it's stealthy. Uh, eel pout. I mean, they can do the same thing. But I think I think it's more likely that they're going to eat crayfish just because they're more easily accessible with expending less energy because they can swim by and there's and times pick them up. there's mm-hmm. times where uh you catch a big eel pout with a big belly on it and you squeeze its belly and you can feel it crunch because of all the crayfish inside that's interesting i never i guess i never knew that I never asked the question are trapped crayfish legal in minnesota yes and no bait you can use it on the same body of water that you trap it from, but you can't transport it at all. So no. it, especially in the winter, kind of a lot of work Sounds... to go and get that bait when, when you'll catch them on other things, when you, you can use minnows. Right. So you. When I, well, I just looked in the trap. I was actually talking to another guy about, about trapping crayfish because I was out on Cass Lake fishing, and Cass Lake has a very excellent eel pout population it also has more crayfish in it than any lake i've ever seen in my entire life with the uh introduction of those rusty crayfish there's there's crayfish all over that lake i don't i mean it's like i've seen the fishing get out get be a little more difficult out there and i think it's because all they have to do is open their mouth and a crayfish will, will crawl in there they don't mean that's how little work they have to do to eat right now out there so I never we looked into anyway. What I was getting at was yeah. we were looking into trapping. I mean, you can't trap, you can't start trapping crayfish in Minnesota till say it's April first or end of April. But that yeah, you kind of defeats the purpose there then, right? But I mean, good grief! You they should certainly allow it on these lakes with the rusties and to clean them out a little bit. But I never even thought we'd be talking about crayfish trapping. But so. Are crayfish active in the winter? Is that why one of the reasons they're going after them mainly or just abundant and they're picking them up out of the mud? Yeah, they're just, they're there and they're easy to eat. I mean, I was, I was sight fishing perch on gas at seven feet of water. And I think I saw a dozen crayfish just scooting around the bottom, trying to eat your bait. You're jigging, get it too close to the bottom. Yeah, they're. They're definitely active underneath the ice. Well, that's kind of a fun thing too when you're fishing shallow and sight fishing them, and especially with kids, and you see a crayfish come in and you try to catch it because you can. They'll latch onto your bait. You can bring them up in the hole. Never even thought it. I never thought we'd be talking about crayfish fishing. Don't let them pinch you. No, they're pincers. Their pincers will get you. I, I got nipped by one here a couple of years ago. One ended up in a in a minnow trap and the boy just had to have it and it lived in the bait tank for a couple weeks and the thing bit me twice tacked me once came right up to the top and nipped me in the side of the hand (laughs) brad it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad that's like that's like people saying oh watch out for the stingers on the catfish they got poison in them that venom will get into you (laughs) All right, you busted me. You got me. (laughs) 
No, but he did attack me, and he scared me. I was terrified. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that little thing to come up and grab me in the hand. Did it hurt? No. Did it scare me? Yeah, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And you want to talk about catfish stinging. You wouldn't believe how often we get that still to this day. And it's always stay away from the whiskers. They'll sting you. And then <laughs> yeah. so the first thing I'm doing is grabbing the fish. Look, his whiskers don't hurt. And I'm playing with them and patting them. And, well, how come you're not getting stung? Because they don't. Let me tell you about this. And then we have to have the biology lesson. Well, it's the same with the opollock. People get freaked out by them and they think that they're, you know, are contagious. They think they're contagious. They're going to catch something from them. And, you know, they're... They wrap around your arm. The wrap around your arm or your leg. I saw one that wrapped around somebody's leg twice. <laughs> Doesn't happen. It's, you can lip them like a bass. You know, they're, they're harmless for sure. But a, a lot of people mix them up with other species. You know, they, they associate them with, with catfish or with dogfish. I couldn't tell you how many people go to the bait shop, get a scoop of minnows and get a mud minnow in there and then take a picture of it and go, oh, look, we got a baby eel pouch. No, it's not. I could see somebody not knowing mixing them up with a dogfish just because kind to of some the degree, shape of the backside. You know the, until you lip them. Well, that's yeah. a whole nother animal. But the big thing about, uh, you know, the whole dogfish eel pout association is that, you know, dogfish are more relative to weeds and shallow water, things like that, where the eel pout, they need ultra clean water. That's a requirement. And I, I use this analogy all the time that they're the canary in the coal mine, that biologists are starting to realize that if there's a decline in water quality, that is the species, the first species that's going to be affected. So no as the DNR continues to do research on this species and people, I, 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 they were doing a study on a, a local lake here and it was uh, intense. It was uh, putting tracking devices in eel pout and each tracking device was $700. So they put 60 devices and so that's $42,000 right there. That didn't include the manpower or the the receiving station positioned around the lake and people would grumble about it. They'd see, well, there you go. Another good example of the DNR wasting our taxpayer dollars, but they didn't realize how important they are for understanding the fishery and the quality, the water quality of all of our lakes. Well, there's a lot of that. I mean, the DNR is going to be doing a very intense sheephead study this summer they're probably going to be doing some of the same stuff. I haven't heard the details of how intense they're going to be, but two years ago they had me keeping otoliths out of sheephead. Last year when they did the net net tracking, they kept them all. So they're doing an extensive age study, and now it sounds like they're going to team up, I think it's University of Nebraska, and they're going to go even more intense on sheephead and buffalo. And that's all informational because it's food chain stuff, and then you know, getting off track a little bit. The NDSU did that study on the buffalo and I think it was the Ottertail River and found out they had a non-spawning population that was no less than 60 years old. Yeah, yeah. They're, again, rough rough fish that are both native species and both really fun to catch if you could get lucky enough to hook into one. I've never caught a buffalo, but I'd like to. 
I wouldn't even know how to start, but I'd like to catch one just to say I did it. I caught one, but it was more of a – I don't think it was hooked in the mouth. Well, that's <laughs> always a possibility. <laughs> it was a snag deal, but but I've caught a lot of sheephead, and they sure are fun to catch. Big sheephead on a walleye rod. They fight. They fight yeah. hard. So I was going to back up. We were talking about dogfish. Have you guys ever had a guide customer request to go dogfish fishing? No, but I've I've been fishing with a client and have seen one, and you know they've been excited about it and have wanted to catch it. Because I th- I've never so, yeah. caught one. I think they would be a hoot. I don't know if I would necessarily target them for a whole day, but I'd like to catch a couple just to do it, just to see them. I got a lake here that it wouldn't be difficult. That's for sure. Yeah, I got a couple spots I could take you this summer. Well, we 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 can take you to our best dogfish spot. <laughs> I have had one uh, years ago sitting in the spear house here local, the lake right by my house here, and uh, had one come in, came right from underneath the ice, popped the set up my hole, honest to God, like burped at me, and then took off swimming again. <laughs> yeah, I had one in, in the late ice period fishing in my portable, just looking down a 10-inch hole. And had one come up and, and actually mouth the transducer of my Vexlar. God. They're weird. Fish are weird. All fish are weird. I, That's I, why we like them. I kind of want to do that. But, you know, I'm, I've got a soft spot for rough fish, you know. But I'm the guy who has been quoted on this show, and you can ask Dale if you don't believe me, of calling walleyes uh, bottom-feeding bait fish. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get a rise out of people. <laughs> Well, I won't go that far just because I have, you know, I have so many anglers that come that they have a variety of preferences of what they want to catch. And, you know, if it's important to you, it's good. Um, you know, just a few days ago, Jason and I were out with Jason Mitchell doing some stuff with Eel Pout. And he posted a picture of it online and somebody commented about it's a sad day when somebody proudly holds up a a lawyer, another name for eel pout. And it's kind of like, you know what? Who cares? Well, the reason I, if you like it, the reason I take the stab at the walleyes is because over the years, I always get the, you do what? And then the nose goes in there. Well, I fish for walleyes. I got, I got that so much that I take the stab at them whenever I get the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I got a place in devil's lake. You don't think I don't chase the things. (laughs) Catfish walleye, the one thing we are is we don't fly fish. True. We're our little, we're our little vests. And... True. <laughs> and I, I'm sure you guys do it occasionally, but, you know, my view of musky fishing is having a $27,000 tackle box and a $500 rod. And, woo, I saw one today. $27,000 tackle box. Did you buy that used at a garage sale? <laughs> well, that's kind of where I was leading because I didn't know. Yeah, and five five hundred dollars for a musky rod is nothing. I mean, really, because you can pay more than that for just the reel or just the rod. I, I sometimes have people that show up um, for musky guide trips that'll have a fifteen hundred dollar rod and reel combo and a small box of baits that's ten thousand dollars. None of them with a tooth mark in them. But you know, it's if that's what you love to do, absolutely do it. Yeah, I'm. I I've never caught one of those either. I've had some opportunities, and but there's a couple guys that worked over here at our local Cabela's store, so I always took that opportunity because 
they always would turn their nose up at everything because they were chasing muskies. And I said that $27,000 thing, and I was kind of hoping to get a rise out of them, and they looked at each other, and they smiled and said, you're a little low. <laughs> there was a point in my life where I, I could have gone down the road of, of solely fishing muskies. I was addicted to them in my 20s, and I, I just I was enamored with them. But fortunately, it's probably guiding that, that led me down a different path. And I'm so glad because I love all species of fish and I have respect for all species of fish. Oh, I, I just like fishing. I love panfish. I can't believe how many people I run into that say, I did that as a kid and I don't care anymore. I love them. I, I, just, I wish we had them closer to us to take more advantage of them because I just think they're the bomb, especially through the ice. Oh, yeah. I fish, I fish bluegills and crappies ten times more than I do walleyes in the winter. I rare, I very seldom ice fish for walleyes anymore. A handful of times, I just seems like most of the time you're sitting there for that forty five minute bite window. It's true, it's true. And then in my, you know, my downfall is me and Perch have a hate hate relationship. I try and try and try and they just give me the old proverbial middle finger and swim away no well in my neck that. of the woods here around park rapids we don't have a lot of great perch lakes uh we have a lot of perch but not great size not good numbers of of good size fish if you catch a 10 inch perch it's usually a rogue fish so it's not like you're keeping 15 of those or anything like that. But panfish, we've got a ton of. And walleyes, you know, like Jason was saying, you get that 45-minute window. Well, you might in that 45 minutes have, you know, three to five fish approach your bait. Well, that's not a lot of practice to figure out how to catch them either. So if you don't have a lot of experience walleye fishing, you don't get a lot of reps in. It's kind of like, you know, with panfish, how – people are starting to use plastic more and things like silkies more and the best time to use those to get confidence in them is when those fish are already biting and going crazy right right well with walleyes you don't get that around here you don't get that craziness where you can experiment with different things so that's you know makes a case for going to devil's lake or lake of the woods or red lake places that you're going to get a lot more reps in right So I'm going to run our last ad, and then we're going to go back to eel pelt because the one thing we have not talked about is how to catch the darn things. So keep that in mind. Get your sales pitch to how to catch them together, and we'll talk about muskox and see on the other side. Hey, if you move snow with a skid steer, you've got to see the muskox difference. A patented back drag feature allows operators to blow snow while back dragging in front of obstructions. You know, garage doors, siding, and fire hydrants. Now this saves time and money while lowering injury risk by decreasing manual labor. The optional dual auger, called the dually, helps the operator eat through big snowfalls, ice-crusted snow, and blow more snow while back dragging. And the glide plate, it allows you to glide over grass and gravel without ripping up the soft surfaces. Subsequently, create an instant torque of the lower cutting edge to break up snow and ice to better expose hard surfaces. See the muskox difference. Go to muskox.com or Facebook at muskox snowblowers or call 218-288-1905. See the difference for yourself. It's the muskox difference. 
All right, and we're back. So how are we going to go catch... If we've never done a eel pelt before, we're looking for a way to be sort of successful. How are we going to get started? What are we going to look for? Baits, lures, go. Um, glow is key. Glowy. Glowy. Use something that glows. I like the big nasty tackle lineup. He's a big heavy jig and modify it if you'd like little noise doesn't hurt i found adding rattles which is also kind of one of the fun things is then jason and i over the years have played with all sorts of different things if it glows we've tried it i guarantee it well that's glow good. hairs and glow plastics and different glow paints and different rattles is there a color that stands out versus anything else yeah glow throw up a couple more pictures glow, glow. color but I like you know something brighter. I I would say the best luck with like a glow green, glow white type of type of bait. Not the glow reds, or they're not quite as good in your opinion. They work, but they're they're just not as bright. I don't think. I mean, you look at a. I have no scientific basis for this, but my theory is that the opal can't see very well, and that's just based off of the size of their eye compared to a walleye, right? Okay. So that glow. Is something that's catching their eye. The noise and the vibration of pounding the bottom. They've got a very you know, well-defined lateral line. Especially you, you start catching some bigger ones. You see, it, you really can notice it on a bigger fish. I mean, obviously it's still there on a, on smaller ones, but it's something that really sticks out on bigger fish. You can really see that lateral line running down the length of their body. Uh, so I think that vibration is is there's a lot what they're picking up and that's why you're pounding the bottom and you think about a crayfish moving along the bottom making a little racket causing that same type of vibration that's what's catching their catching their attention what kind of real what kind of rattles are you using when you're doing that yes whatever the loudest <laughs> have you experimented with some of these different catfish ones that are coming out now those inlines and or uh, just are you using more traditional we'll ice yeah just ones? send me some yeah i'll try them out I, I don't even know. I'm, the last rattles I bought, I found jigs at Timberline and Black Duck. They were fifty cents a piece, and it was just like a little leadhead jig with this rattle chamber attached to it. So I just started ripping the rattle chambers off, and I said, "Just charge me for the jigs, and you can keep the jigs." But I want a dozen of those rattle chambers. And they were just a little deal that slid over the top of the hook. And I bought mm. the remainder of them. What, where were we going? Were we going up north? We we must have been. I mean, we're going somewhere north if we were both there. If it was Lake of the Woods, it wouldn't have been. It was Manitoba. it was Lake of the Woods. It was Lake of the Woods. Yeah, we're up there hmm. chasing unicorns on Lake of the Woods. We did. I might have to uh, send you guys a couple things to test out. There's another picture. If it glows or rattles, I'm interested. Well, I've got some glow-in-the-dark white rattles to put on inlines with catfish lines. Hmm. And like the that. new ones are really loud. So we might have to talk about that. You know, there's another one. Would they hit? Uh, they probably don't want necessarily a floater on top of a jig, but some of those new modified float rigs for catfish are really, really loud. 
You know, Jason, what we should be asking Brad about is stink. We should yeah. be picking his brain about stinky things. Well, I'm a believer in natural bait, but I stink, so I suppose we can figure something out. Um, <laughs> yeah. have, have you have you ever tried stinky balls? I was just going to ask you that. I talked to that guy in Sioux Falls pretty extensively, and I have two thing two containers of it to play with. Um, I like his concept, but it's unproven yet. I have heard really good things about him, and I am kicking myself for not buying them in Sioux Falls, and I made a mental note while I was on the ice today that I need to order some because I think for eel pout they'd be great. Yeah, and they're small, so they stick on and don't get in the way of the bait to begin with, and they'll leave the scent trail. So I've been pretty much laid up all winter due to a minor surgery that just has a forever recovery, so I haven't played with them yet but i've got some for the catfish and then i've got another one that he insists that pike will take and then i think you can just kind of mix and match them from there just rub some on your hot dogs he said put it on there yeah (laughs) he actually said break it in half and stick it on with anything no so uh what is another bait you guys use for these things you know, I've I've even painted up rattle baits before, like rip and wraps. Uh, I bought some super intense glow paint online, and I've done a lot of research on glow in the dark paints and luminescence and all of that, charging them. And the 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 challenge is to get a paint that glows bright and has longevity to the glow, but is still thin enough that you can apply it to a lure. Some of the paint that I have is so chunky, it's like putting old school paste on a lure. And so you kind of lose a little bit of the the in, intricate parts of the bait, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Probably more uh, meant for lead heads or big jigs then, huh? Well, even with that, it's pretty chunky. Uh, but, you know, that works for them. Uh, you know, we don't do much in terms of tip-ups. For eel pout, just, I mean, I haven't had really good luck with them. We've tried them before, and I know people that do well using tip-ups for eel pout, but I'd rather have the rod in my hand anyway. Right, that's the more fun fight. And I I haven't ever got into the tip-ups for them mostly. Usually, if if you're into them, you got enough action jigging, but they eat so aggressively, there's a 0% chance that they're not swallowing the hook by the t- unless that tip up is you're sitting on top of it. Right. They just eat so hard and fast that the you're you're getting your deep hook in most of them. Well, Jace, think about when we were way up north and you had that stellar morning of eel pout that I was so super jealous of. I've never admitted that to you until this moment. Uh, but you were using plastic. Yeah. They're hitting plastic. I was using just a a lake trout setup. So another question. Pound in the bottom with that. Thinking of, of smell, have you guys ever tried things like gulp and things like that? You must yeah. have. I've played around with a ton of stems. Procure. Um, obviously, the one that I've had, and I don't know if it's a confidence thing, if it's happen chance or if there is something to it, but... 
the other part is it's the scent that I've used the most of, but crayfish, they make crayfish, they make a lot of different crayfish. <laughs> scents. So yeah. that's kind of the, where I lean when I'm, when I'm, well, if they're scent. hitting crayfish and they like crayfish scent, why wouldn't you give them crayfish scent? That's kind of You're right. pretty I, elementary. I to... Keep it simple. Right. And that's perfect for me. Keeping it simple. Well, I mean, that's with any fish, and I think we have a tendency, no matter what the species, to make things more difficult than they need to be. Oh, yeah, nothing. Hey, there, I got a picture that's a, of That's a Minnesota walleye fish. Let's overthink everything. Well, I, I walleye fish so little anymore that it's pretty much a, a bottom bouncer and a three-foot lindy rig and a piece of gulp. That's about yeah. it. That's about all I ever use anymore. Mm-hmm. So anything well, to add on? Thing, you'll, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, you know, one thing is how really our rods have changed. I mean, where we've, we've gone to longer rods, softer tips, where people used to think that you needed this kind of pool cue, super, super stout rod. And now we're going lighter and lighter and using longer and longer rods for more leverage. Right. Yeah, that's another area. I mean, that's an area all across fishing is rods have changed. I mean, for sure. Catfish. When I started catfishing, you could get the Cabela's King cat rod for catfish, or you were buying, if you wanted circle hook rods, you were buying trolling rods for downriggers to get that flexibility. Now you've got, you know, pick it, get online and pick it. Ugly stick has four different rods now just for catfish. And they used to have the old ugly stick catfish that a lot of us grew up on. Maybe not you guys, but they've got lots of choices now too. So, you know, a lot of things have changed in that front. So yes, I agree with you on that one. I remember years ago, Brad, years ago where you were, you know, on the forefront of using softer tips for catfish that everybody had been using these super stout rods and you started using rods that had more give on the tip so you could actually see the bite without the fish feeling it. I'll never forget talking to you about that. I didn't invent it, but I probably perfected it in this part of the world. I remember going to a seminar with in fishermen at a tournament and they were talking about the rod, but then they wouldn't tell you what the rod was. And it took months to find the rod. I got stacks of rods still in the basement trying to find that right rod to do that. And now you can look just about anywhere. There's probably at least 10 choices for what I would like to use. And, I mean, I can think of, I mean, right now, I seven-foot ugly stick catfish. There you go. It does everything I need it to do with a soft tip rod. No comment to that part, huh? (laughs) (laughs) We didn't want to get... Too, I don't own that rod. No. So, well, we're getting a little short on time. Um, let's start with Rylander. I don't know if you're guiding this winter for Matt or not, but if somebody wants to in the summer or whatever, how do they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, find us at northcountryguides.com. Give Matt or I a shout. Um, find me on Facebook. Um, with the job and life and kids, I, I, I do... I fish for eel pout. I try not to guide for them, but that being said, if I'm available, you might be able to twist my arm. But uh, reach out to me on Facebook if you have any questions. Jason will say the same thing, I guarantee you. I'm an open book. I will give you 
every piece of information I can except the waypoint. But I'll make it pretty easy where you'll figure it out without a waypoint anyway. But I'm happy to help anybody try to catch some uh, catch some burbot. Awesome. Sure. And Mr. Durham, how do we get a hold of you if we want to go fishing with you? You know, I just I wanted to piggyback on Jason's comment there <clears throat> that you know really most people in the outdoor industry are are open to questions for sure. They're not going to give you, like Jason said, the GPS points, but there are a lot of really great knowledgeable anglers out there who want to share that passion that are so passionate about it that they want to see other people succeed and have a good time fishing. So yeah, reach out anytime you can find me on my website, which is go-fish-guides.com. It's go fish guide service, like the card game. And of course you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and you can always contact me on my cell phone, which is area code 218-252-2278. Or just Google. Google Park Rapids Area Fishing Guides. It's going to come up. You're You've been be around long enough. It. You'll pop up. Is that is that an old joke? What? That, that was an old joke. Yes. About my age. I knew it. I get the same thing. Just Google Red River Catfish. I'll pop up. <laughs> I mean, I've been around long enough. There's... It's just how it's going to be. I'm the only game in town anymore, so, it's, I, you know, it's me or nobody if you want a guide. So, I Well, the thing here, you know, like I don't, I don't have any more weekends open for the entire ice season. I do have openings for the summer. But uh, the great thing is we do have several other guides here now, and we all work so closely together. The majority of us are school teachers, and we're on the phone with each other, texting each other every single day. And I would highly recommend any of these other guides here. I mean, if you if you don't get a chance to go out with me, you're going to have a good time with one of the other guides in the Park Rapids area. So, well, I wanted, to them. I wanted to add on to your both of your comments about pretty much everything, but GPS coordinates, and that's pretty much exactly where I'm at. Don't ever ask for a coordinate, but I'll tell you just about anything you want to know. Mm-hmm. And you could probably figure it out after a. A little bit of a talk so well i want to thank you guys for coming on that wraps up another episode of this catfish best source remember our season three sponsors half brothers brewing thunder rays auto repair brothers firearms muskox snowblowers and chiller bait tanks between now and next week be sure to check out other shows on grand forks best source at their website gfbestsource.com to listen to old episodes of this show from season one, two, or three, go to redrivercatfish.com, click on the podcasts button. We also have an audio files over at Podbean under Catfish Best Source. Until next time, look me up on the web, redrivercatfish.com. Find me on Facebook or Instagram. Until next week, thanks for joining us.